Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Friends, a, a quick message before we get to this week's interview. If you haven't already done so, I am inviting you to subscribe to my podcast newsletter. It comes out every couple of weeks and it includes a detailed description of the podcast episode of the week, news about upcoming guests, and updates on my ongoing work to reframe healthcare. To subscribe, go to my website, www.reframehealthcare.org. That's www.reframehealthcare.org and click on the podcast page. A pop-up box will appear. Just enter your email address in the pop-up box and hit subscribe. It's that simple. So now turning to today's episode, I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to share this dialogue with you. We're going to hear from Dr. Alan Lotvin, the Chief Transformation Officer at CVS Health, who I'll introduce to you in a moment. I'm excited about this interview because I think CVS Health is one of the most remarkable and ongoing stories of care transformation in American healthcare today. I would urge you to read my written description of this podcast where I go into greater detail. And actually, I wrote about CVS Health in my book, Reframing Healthcare. And again, I would urge you to take a look at that as well. But in short, this is a multifaceted story about leadership that has an unrelenting commitment to creating consumer-centric healthcare, care that is convenient, affordable, easy to use, easy to navigate, and has great consumer experience and great outcomes. It's also a story about a company that has expanded its value proposition to delivering state-of-the-art, comprehensive, proactive, chronic disease care and care management. So folks, I'm delighted to invite Alan Lotvin as our guest this week. Dr. Lotvin is the Executive Vice President and Chief Transformation Officer for CVS Health. In this role, Dr. Lotvin has oversight of the portfolio of business transformation initiatives across the enterprise. He has extensive experience in the pharmaceutical benefit management and specialty pharmacy industries. He actually began his career as a practicing cardiologist and he holds a master's degree in medical informatics from Columbia University. Dr. Lotvin also holds a U.S. patent for a cardiac circulatory valve repair method and device. Without further ado, let's jump into this interview, which I recently conducted with Dr. Alan Lotvin. Alan, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I have been following you and your work uh, and the work at CVS for years and have uh, so much respect and admiration for what you're doing, and I'm so excited to speak to you. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Zef. So let's just jump in. What is your vision as the Chief Transformation Officer at CVS Health for healthcare in general? How are you thinking about manifesting that? That's a great question. It's one I've thought a little bit about. And I think the way, the best way to describe it is, is give an example. If you have an acute insult in this country, you break a leg, you have a heart attack, uh, get in a car accident, you're going to have a good clinical outcome in general. And not only that, the outcomes have been getting better over time. And if you contrast that with chronic disease, where we really struggle to make a material impact in reducing the incidence, the prevalence, and reducing the disease burden of chronic disease. I think what CVS Health has, 
has done by putting together this incredible set of data assets from a health insurer and a pharmacy benefit manager with a very local um, frequently used pharmacy, we've created an infrastructure where we can identify people who are in need and we can interact with them in a way that we can drive incredible levels of engagement. So the idea here is to bring more services more locally into people's communities, which you know I define as their hand with a digital device, their home, as well as a retail setting, to help them make the choices, those everyday choices that impact chronic disease. You know, are you gonna take your medicines? Are you gonna get a good night's sleep? Are you gonna eat well? Are you gonna exercise, et cetera? All of those things that no matter how many times a day you see your doctor, or how many times a month you see your doctor or a year, are the decisions you have to make every single day. So I believe that's what's gonna change chronic disease. So we're taking a, we called it a consumer-centric approach. I use the phrase consumer intentionally mm -hmm. in the sense that people have come to expect a certain level of interaction, a certain level of transparency, a certain quality of how a commercial interaction is going to go. And in general, we're not there in medicine. So we're trying to bring that same approach that you would take in any, almost any other commercial sphere to medicine and make it easy for people, make it streamlined, uh, incorporated or embedded in their, in their everyday life so it's not an imposition to help them make those decisions to help, uh, help improve chronic disease. CVS has gone through so many changes over the past few years, but you have so many components. You have a, the, the CVS retail store, you've got the, the minute clinic, you've got the pharmacy, now you have a payer with Aetna, you've got all that analytic power and capacity that you were talking about, you've got a pharmacy benefits manager, a PBM, now you're adding a whole new sort of care provision, uh, care provider part, which is this health hub. I suspect that many people don't even understand what CVS Health is. To me, it sounds like it is the next gen sort of vertically integrated delivery network. Tell me how you all see yourself and, and the components that make up CVS Health. I, I think you, you hit it on the head, Zev. So when CVS uh, Caremark, right, so before we bought Aetna, we had all these really interesting ideas on how we could use this incredible local asset, the retail pharmacy, to improve people's overall health and lower the total cost of care. You know, we thought pharmacy is the most frequent interaction in healthcare. We have uh, space within the minute clinics where we can bring more services into, into the minute clinic, whether it's chronic disease services or retinal cameras to evaluate, you know, the progression of diabetes, et cetera. And, but whenever we would talk to customers or other health plans, we would have a hard time really convincing them uh, a, that it would work, and B, that they should pay for it. And so what we realized was by, by owning the entire stack from, from financial responsibility through the, the health insurer, all the way down through care provision in minute clinics and health hubs and soon-to-be kidney disease, we, we could demonstrate the power of this vertically integrated organization. And then 
take those same products out and bring them to other payers. We call it an open platform mo uh, model, meaning like once we prove something within our own owned companies, it, it's much easier to be able to guarantee results and therefore much easier to, to sell and bring those innovations out to other payers. That's really helpful to hear. So how would you piece it all together? I mean, what is the ultimate goal or purpose? What is the bigger end game you're trying to achieve here? The costs in this country and the unmet medical need is generally on chronic disease. We're putting together an ecosystem that focuses on the consumer, right? Keeping it simple and making it local um, so that it's easy for them to use to access a whole series of services that we're currently thinking about and others that we haven't thought about yet or that third parties could bring into the ecosystem so that ultimately we improve the health outcomes of patients. You know, the, the simplest thing uh, I was taught by some of our mentors at, at Sinai is, you know, the best care is often the cheapest care. And so by, by having the best outcomes, we will have the lowest healthcare costs. And so what we're trying to construct is an, an organization that looks at the consumer as the point of influence and brings all those services to the consumer, the individual, rather than having the individual have to go out and find and figure out what, what they need at any given point in time. So it truly is a consumer-centric approach to the kind of local supportive management of chronic disease and chronic care. So that's really, really helpful. What kind of chronic diseases are you looking at? Obviously, you mentioned chronic kidney disease, and I'd love to hear much more about that as well. The, the way we're thinking about the approach here is you, you can sort of uh, segment people out into multiple different so tranches. So some of the people who are going to influence and impact are really those people with multiple chronic diseases who really require intensive care and case management that's really tightly integrated in with the physicians, often requiring home visits, even if not home visits for, for medical interventions like infusion, home visits to ensure, you know, and assess fall, fall risk, um, home visits because they're, you know, these people are homebound. So we're able to deliver those sorts of interventions. And then you can work down from, from those multiple chronic diseases to individual specific um, areas like diabetes, we're, we are partly disease-focused, but very much um, creating an infrastructure to take care of the entire patient so that, you know, if, you, if you're that more, more common person who has uh, a chronic disease with a comorbidity, whether it's a, another chronic disease like, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure or diabetes and atrial fibrillation, or whether it's, um, you know, congestive heart failure and depression, we're really going to try to take care of the entire patient and marshal the resources both in the community, but also linking back to the care and case management uh, resources within, uh, within the insurance companies, both our own and our partner companies, to provide a real, a real comprehensive solution for those members. What do you see as the holy grails? What do you see as, as, as where there's a real war to become the best at, to become the, I don't know, is there an iOS in healthcare? Are people trying to become that platform? Yeah, so all good questions. I think um, so. I, I think there are there's plenty of room in this industry for people to 
take different approaches, right? So we're, we're choosing a very consumer-focused approach, largely, um, you know, a little bit of our legacy, we see tremendous opportunity by being, you know, in people's local communities. I think others are taking a more provider-focused approach and, you know, trying to organize the, the, the um, provider e infrastructure and uh, maximally influence site of care and things like that. And those aren't conflicting approaches. So I think there's plenty of room for more than one approach to, um, to win or to succeed. From the perspective of, of analytics, I, I agree with you completely that, that the, the, the companies that aren't um, effectively using uh, data analytics and all of its um, associated and affiliated, those machine learning, predictive analytics, various forms of artificial intelligence, over time are going to fall further and further behind for all sorts of reasons. It's going to be a combination of, you know, understanding their network and network construction, understanding the, the, the customers and the customer needs, um, underwriting. So I think that you, I don't think you can overestimate the impact that um, these tools are going to have on that, the, the health services business. I don't know that I would characterize it as a as a mountain to climb or a war to be had, because again, I think you know there's so much open space for improvement. You, know, you said it earlier. Um, you know the, the industry is inefficient. The uh, the opportunity for improving quality of care is huge. That I think the the for the for the at least foreseeable future that I see, the opportunity to just be better across the board. There's plenty of room for people to take different approaches, I guess what I'm saying. Right, right. Should we on the hospital healthcare system side be worried in, in this competition? You know, where do we fit in in the future in the ecosystem of the American healthcare system? So we, we've tried to establish that what we're doing is not a replacement for primary care, but it really is complementary. And, and, you know, examples would be, you know, newly diagnosed hypertensive patient um, seen by one of one of one of your doctors or by you, you know, you may want them to come back in a week and have their blood pressure checked and meds titrated. Now, if we put our consumer experience hat on for a second, uh, about half the people we see in Minute Clinic don't have a primary care doctor. We re we refer 3.4 million people a year to uh, to primary care doctors. About half of the people we refer say they don't want one. You may say, well, why, why wouldn't someone want to see a primary care doctor? Well, you know, Minute Clinic is within five miles of your house. Primary care doctor is probably 15 to 20. Um, Minute Clinic will tell you on our website exactly how long the wait time is at that minute. Your doctor's office, you know, you're, you don't know how long you're going to be waiting in the waiting room. Um, we tell you how long the visit is. And we tell you exactly how much it's going to cost because we, you know, painted on the wall. Now we put on an LED screen, but we used to paint it on the wall. Right. And so that transparency, that ease of use, that convenience, that knowing what you're getting into when you drive over there, I think makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So if you think about um, the primary care shortage and you think about the efficient use of having everyone operate at the top of their license, I'd rather have someone like you, well-trained, see that person with hypertension the first time, 
make sure that it, it is truly, you know, primary hypertension and nothing, none of the weird diseases we learned about back in the 80s that, that were causing their high blood pressure. Um, but then for, for the, that simple first or second follow-up to ensure that they get titrated appropriately, let's just have some sort of collaborative practice agreement where, you know, they can drive five minutes to the local CVS or stop in on their way home, get their blood pressure checked, we'll titrate the meds accordingly, put the information in, in the medical record, and you'll be able to monitor it. And meanwhile, you're seeing higher acuity patients. From a, from a societal approach, to me, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, right in, in a fee-for-service world, yeah, there's a little bit of, okay, do, do I want to give up that, you know, that, that visit? We're trying to organize for the future to say we, we see more systems starting to look for more ways of, of extending the care they can provide, either geographically, um, extending their providers. So we're not trying to compete, right? We're trying to provide the best possible care, you know, in the most efficient manner. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, uh, chronic kidney disease, why are you getting in that? And how are you thinking about? taking care of patients with chronic kidney disease? So for my career, I've been, I've been in the health services industry now for, you know, going on 22 years. And over the last, I would say, seven or eight years in particular, um, as I've been out talking to um, customers, meaning uh, large employers and, and health plans about uh, either cardiology products that I was building at one point or, or specialty pharmacy, a lot of times they would ask me, hey, is there anything you can do for me on kidney disease because I'm getting, I'm getting killed on dialysis. The, the, the patient outcomes are terrible and it's really, really expensive. So I kept that in the back of my mind and started to learn a little bit more. What, 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 I, what you learn really quickly is that um, chronic kidney disease, you know, is first of all, it's the number one line item for, for Medicare. It's about call it a little under 1% of the population absorbs 10% of the cost for Medicare. Really striking. Um, there's been almost no innovation in, in chronic kidney disease in the last 30 years. In fact, one of the nephrologists who, who works for me uh, made the comment that if, you, if, if he compares the dialysis center now to the dialysis centers he trade in, trained in, the biggest technological advance has been flat screen TVs. So you have, a, you have an industry that really hasn't innovated. You have a scenario that's very expensive, very, very poor clinical outcomes. Um, you know, the mortality in the first year after the diagnosis of end-stage renal disease is, is uh, you know, almost 25%. Um, these people are sick. You remember what dialysis patients look like. Mm -hmm. They're in the hospital two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And... What we know clinically is that you can make these people feel better, um, live longer, uh, have lower healthcare expenses through a very simple intervention. Do dialysis more frequently for longer periods of time. Right now, the standard of care is three times a week for three to four hours a day. That was set a long time ago using a metric that is probably not the best metric anymore. And so the answer is more dialysis more frequently logistically and economically you can probably only do that at home so some people are, are in home peritoneal dialysis mm -hmm. um, that works for usually it's, it's that works works very well um, the mortality curves cross at about two years so by two years you usually want to be off peritoneal dialysis and either have gotten a transplant or moving to hemo 
we um, learned about a, a home hemodialysis device that was um, designed from the ground up to be used by patients and caregivers at home. And we were, we were incredibly impressed when we saw the technology. And so we decided to um, essentially complete the development of the technology uh, and take the, the uh, device through the FDA and we're in the middle of our FDA trial. Um, it really is a remarkable piece of equipment. I'd, I'd love to you know, have you up and see it one day. Yeah. Um, but that we realized pretty quickly once we started really thinking about how we would build a business around this that the device was incredibly important and and um, a real driver of differentiation. But there was a real uh, there was an uh, and also a need to identify and better manage people earlier in the course of their uh, disease. So when they were pre dialysis, and so we built a um, we built a chronic kidney disease management program that uses some advanced analytics to identify people who are at risk of having kidney disease. Um, we have a second analytic that once we've confirmed the diagnosis and, and gotten some blood work, we can actually predict their 6, 12, and 18-month likelihood of progressing to dialysis. This gets to that topic we talked about earlier about stratifying uh, the, amount of, uh, the, the, the amount of intervention to the risk. And then we can work with these people to do a bunch of really good things. So one thing we can do is we can delay the onset of dialysis. Um, that's been shown in the literature that by good attention to diet, symptomatology, fluids, um, treatment of the underlying uh, uh, medical conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure, you can delay the onset of dialysis. The other thing you can do is you can prevent what are called crashes onto dialysis. So in this country, about 50% of people um, start on dialysis through an ER visit where they're told for the first time they have kidney disease, which is not optimal. Um, uh, by having a planned entry into dialysis, number one, you avoid that hospitalization, which can be very expensive and obviously not great for the patient, but you also have time to talk to the patients about uh, their options. And so we, we kicked this program off actually in April, just four months after we, uh, we closed on the Aetna transaction. And we, we implemented it in a, in a subset of the Aetna uh, markets, as well as 15 uh, Caremark customers. We have about uh, roughly seven to 800 um, patients on, on service right now. And, and it's very early but we've learned some interesting things. Like we learned that half the people aren't on the right drugs um, with respect to protecting their kidneys. Half the people or so don't know they should avoid drugs like Motrin uh, or ibuprofen, mm -hmm. you know, to, to uh, which can hurt, you know, the non-serorals, which can hurt your kidneys. Uh, very few of them have had good dietary uh, counseling. And most concerningly or most, you know, uh, depressingly, probably less than 10% were told of any option other than in-center dialysis. Um, and the one fascinating thing that's happened, and, and we're still early on, obviously, but about 10 of those 800 people have progressed onto dialysis. All of them were planned starts on dialysis. And something like, I don't know the exact number, but it's about 60% chose home therapies. Uh, now, in the U.S. right now, 
only about 11% of people are at home. So look, it's very early, but we're very encouraged by the ability to influence care to you know, improve outcomes and, and lower costs. And you know, hopefully we, we intend to uh, complete the clinical trial on our device this year. And you know, if, if everything proceeds according to, the, to our plan, we should be have it on the market towards the end of next year. It's really cool. It's really so. So I, I got to tell you, it is, it is, I, I have to restrain myself because it's one yeah. of my, fa- you know, I'm, yeah. you're not supposed to have favorite children. Yeah. It is one of my favorite projects to work on because, you know, the, the, the dedication of the team who mm-hmm. are all experienced in this, in this field and the, and the incredible burden of disease on these patients. Yeah. I mean, People who are on dialysis, if they're on dialysis more than four years, a substantial percentage of them self-discontinue therapy. That mm. means they're choosing to die rather than continue dialysis. Right. We can do a lot of good here. Yeah. No, you're really, uh, to your point, I mean, anyone who's experienced that or, or seen people experience, it's anything you could do to make their lives better. And this sounds so fantastic, both from a technical clinical perspective, as well as a lifestyle perspective. And outcomes perspective. It's just fantastic. So I'm, I've caught your enthusiasm about it. You did a great job explaining it. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today? Is there anything you think you left out or any final message you want to uh, impart to our folks who are listening out there? Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to assume most of your listeners are, are interested in health services. And I guess I would encourage everyone you know, there's there's so much opportunity out there for us to do to do the right thing for 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 patients and consumers and really improve healthcare. That we all know all the problems, right? Regulatory and cultural and and you know statutory. And we you know we need as as an industry we need to figure out the path forward um, to you know to be tenacious and get through all those problems because the opportunity is really, um, is really there to do important work mm. that will benefit people, uh, benefit society, and benefit the people who are able to do it well. So it really is, uh, it is the proverbial win for everyone. That sounds it. Alan, it's just, I can't tell you what a real pleasure it's been to speak with you and to hear what you're doing and how you're thinking about things. And uh, I hope we have a chance to talk again soon. Well, this has been really fun. I, you know, uh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, right? I'm doing things that really excite me. I'm fortunate that CVS uh, enables me to do things that really excite me. So it's always fun to talk about. And I I really enjoyed kind of reconnecting, as as you mentioned. I'm sure uh, we will be in touch uh, again very soon. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Alan Lotvin, the Chief Transformation Officer at CVS Health, for being a part of creating new healthcare and bringing us his fresh perspectives, his new ideas and bold solutions in our quest to advance a sustainable value-based consumer-oriented healthcare system. I have to say, folks, I have listened to this interview numerous times, and each time I come away even more inspired and more hopeful about American healthcare. And part of this is that I believe that there are other organizations and other leadership teams. In fact, I know that there are other organizations and other leadership teams similar to CVS Health that are also reframing and transforming the approach to delivering healthcare to make it easier to be healthy, make it more convenient, more affordable, 
to make the system much more easy to navigate. And what I also really admire and respect about the CVS Health approach is they're taking an open, collaborative, I would say synergistic approach and really trying to create an ecosystem of care. And as I do each and every episode, I'd like to thank all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do. And we recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society. And as always, I hope you've benefited from this podcast episode as much as I have. My goal is to provide you with useful information, up-to-date information, as well as encouragement and inspiration, and to serve as a catalyst for reframing and transforming our healthcare delivery system. This is Zeb Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.